effort to come together and to worship. Our scripture reading now will be read from our series in Job. We want to read Job 18 and 19. Job chapters 18 and 19. Please follow along with me as I read the word of God. I'll be reading as I normally do from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider, and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in your anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent. And his lamp above him is put out. His, long, his strong steps are shortened, and his own schemes throw him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks on its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel, and snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him in the path. Terrors frighten him on every side, and chase him at his heels. His strength is famished, and calamity is ready for his stumbling. It consumes the parts of his skin. The firstborn of death consumes his limbs. He is torn from the tent in which he trusted and is brought to the king of terrors. In his tent dwells that which is none of his. Sulfur is scattered over his habitation. His roots dry up beneath and his branches wither above. His memory perishes from the earth, and he has no name in the street. He is thrust from light into darkness and driven out of the world. He has no posterity or progeny among his people and no survivor where he used to live. They of the west are appalled at his day, and horror seizes them of the east. Surely such are the dwellings of the unrighteous. Such is the place of him who knows not God. Then Job answered and said, How long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These ten times you have cast reproach upon me, and you are not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I have erred, my error re remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I am not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass. He has set darkness upon my paths. He has stripped from me my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone, and my hope as he pulled up like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me and counts me as his adversary. His troops come on together. They have cast up their siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. He has put my brothers far from me, and those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. My relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten me. The guests in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. 
I become a foreigner in their eyes. I call to my servant, but he gives me no answer. I must plead with him with my mouth for mercy. My breath is strange to my wife, and I am a stench to the children of my own mother. Even young children despise me. When I rise, they talk against me. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I love, I've loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. May God bless this reading of his word and may he give us understanding as we will preach through this in our sermon this morning. Let's bow for a word of prayer, then after a word of prayer, we'll have some special music and then the preaching of God's word. Thank you, Father, for your word of truth. Help us to understand the message that you have to us through your servant Job and through this book that is written. It is your word. It is holy. It is true, it is valid, it is perfect, it is righteous. Help us to get right understanding from it that we might be encouraged in our walk. Lord, we pray for this country, we pray for our state, even our city, our neighborhoods, and we pray for this church, that you would be with us, that we would call out to you. We would look to you for comfort. We look to you for answers. We will look to you for our resources and our solution. We pray for those who are afflicted by the virus that we see around us, that you might allow them to put their hope and their trust in you. We especially pray for those who are part of this fellowship and that you'll continue to work and to heal. We pray for others, Lord, in a time like this, it is Sometimes um, others who are sick or have different ailments are put aside because so much focus is put on this one issue. But I would pray, Lord, for all of our people that you would intercede, that you would bless, that you would help, that you would heal. And we pray that you would just continue to do that through our people here, especially ours, at Sweet Communion. So we pray, Lord, that your people will continue to live for you, to serve you, to honor you in all that they do. And we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.
take a look at God's Word today. We have been walking through a series in Job. We've started from Job chapter 1 and we've come all the way through chapter by chapter. And we have seen what happened at the start of a conversation about Job. And we've seen from that conversation, the author of Job writes that Job is in favor with God. Job is highly favored by the Lord. And in fact, you could say in our way of speaking, God is very proud of Job. He's proud of Job's life and he's proud of Job's character. Another way of saying that, probably a biblical way of putting that, is that Job's life and his character bring glory to God. We can see that from the very start of this book in Job chapter 1. In the very first verse, it says this. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, the writer of Job is sharing that information, but you can see that he's setting the scene for who this Job is. He's blameless. He's upright. He's one who fears God. Now, I want you to note that statement coming from the author, and it's in much contrast to what one of Job's friends said in Job 15, verse 4. Job's friend says this, you are doing away with the fear of God. So Job's friend Eliphaz accused Job of not fearing God, but the writer, the author of Job says, ah, that's not true. Job's character has shown that he fears God. But not only the writer of Job, we see in chapter 1, verse 8, God himself speaks about Job. And he says to Satan, have you considered? Have you considered what? My servant Job, he says. He says there's none like him on earth. He's blameless and upright, and he fears God, and he turns away from evil. Those are the Lord's words about his servant Job. God brings blessing into Job's life. But he also brings suffering into Job's life. And the book of Job wants to let us know that God is the source of both. Even though we struggle with that and we don't understand it, the Bible is clear. God is the source of both. So what are we to take from that? What are we to learn from that? Well, look at the blessings that God has, has put into Job. Satan himself said it in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? He's saying that God has put a, a form of protection around Job. On a part-time basis, I do home delivery for FedEx, and I was out doing deliveries the other day, and I came to a house, 
and a dog approached me, and it was barking. It was coming from the side of the house, and there was no fence there. And I couldn't tell if he was chained or not. But he got to a certain point, and he stopped. And I kept looking to see if there was a chain. There was no chain. Now, neighbors were on the sidewalk and looking at me. They were kind of smiling like, he's not going to go in here, is he? No, I wasn't. The dog was big. He meant business. And he did not seem to be restrained. But as I, as I looked and as the owner of the house came out, they said, there's an invisible fence. And sure enough, there was an invisible fence that the dog would not go farther than that. Now, I didn't trust that. <laughs> the dog wouldn't come past that invisible fence. Satan was saying, you put an invisible fence around Job, not to keep him from going out, but to keep others from coming in. God had protected Job. And Satan was aware of it. He said, you placed a hedge around not only him, but all that he has. God had protected Job. And so we see that and we applaud that. We say amen to that and we pray that for ourselves. God, protect me. Put an invisible fence around me. But we also need to realize God takes the fence away at times. He turns it off. He allows things to come into our lives. So we see that Job was blessed, but Job also saw the sufferings of God brought into his life. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verse 21. Remember after that first calamity in his life, the first round of Satan's uh, attacks on Job, which were sent by God, he says this in verse 21, very famous statement. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not say, easy come, easy go. That's not the same. Easy come, easy go is kind of like things just happen randomly. No, Job says, the Lord has given, and the Lord takes away. He does both. He blesses, he brings blessing into our life, and he allows sufferings to enter into our life. You say, well, preacher, why do you emphasize that? Why is that even important? First of all, it's a truth that should not be denied, and it's a very important truth that helps us understand how God is working in our lives so that we don't succumb to discouragement. That truth is so very important. The Lord gives the Lord takes away. Job was practicing that truth in his life, even though the truth perplexed him. Because we would ask, we, we, we don't have to ask, why does the Lord give? We ask, why does the Lord take away? Why does he bring unpleasant things in our lives? And so we struggle with that truth, but Job did too, but he did not deny it. Notice to support that truth in chapter 2, when the Lord speaks to, Job, to Satan, he says to Satan, have you considered, chapter 2, verse 3, have you considered my servant Job? 
He says, there's none like him on all the earth, and he's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he turns away evil, and that's what he said. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God said it. Satan, you incited me against him to destroy him. It's in God's hand to do that, in his power to do that, and he did. He allowed suffering to come into Job's life. But in this suffering, there's something that is important happens. Because we ask that question, why would God allow this? Why would he send this into our lives? What is his purpose? What does he get out of this? Does God enjoy seeing us suffer is he, is he someone who sits in heaven and he's playing with our lives and, and, and experimenting and just trying to see what happens when these things arise in our lives? Does God get some kind of a joy out of that? We would be tempted to ask. But we can see in Job's life that God has a pure and perfect motive in our lives, and that's what we have to trust him to. We may not understand why he does all that he does, or his timing, or the impact he has on our life, but this one thing we can understand, that God is using even the suffering in our life to bring about his glory. If I could just fast forward the tape <laughs> and tell you what God does, God has chosen to use suffering to bring about our redemption, and he's modeled that in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can see that suffering has its, its godly purpose, and so we should, we should persevere in our suffering so that God is glorified and know that God is going to bring it out all at the end. He used Jesus to model that suffering for us. Jesus suffered not for his own sin, but he suffered in our place to bring, to bring our redemption, the payment for our sin. So God has a very good and wholesome and beautiful purpose for suffering. And he's brought that purpose out through his son. In his suffering, Job persevered and he brought glory to God. God gets the glory when his people persevere through trials. That is, when they hold fast to their faith in God. When they trust and they depend on God in their trial, when they keep their faith even when doubts and questions arise. It's interesting that God allows us to see chapter after chapter of Job's lament and how he suffers so that we could see that Job too had questions. Why is this going on? I don't understand. Job had to face his friends who were his accusers saying, no, Job, you have sinned and this is what God is doing. But time and time again, he, he refuted that saying, no, it's not because of wrong that I've done. God, for some reason that I don't know and I don't even understand, has brought this suffering into my life. You don't understand it and I don't understand it. 
It's from the hand of God, but he's going to accomplish something in it, and he's going to give me the grace to go through it. In our crisis, we struggle and we ask, does God know? Does he see what we're going through? Does he dish it out? Is that true? Will he act? Will he come through for us? Why is he doing this and how long will this persist? These questions are really the prayers of the saints. And in fact, they reflect the prayers of the saints throughout all the ages. God, how long do we have to suffer? We suffer because we live in a world that has been cursed by sin and we suffer the effects of that sin. And yet we say, well, God, why and how long do we have to suffer that? These questions are really asked in God's Word and answered as well. I want to just take you through. It's interesting that I'm going to go through the book of Revelation, a couple passages in Revelation to point this out because Revelation, we see God bringing his kingdom into place and he's ending the kingdom of this world and bringing on his kingdom. And so we see the end of things and the beginning of things and how God deals with this thing of his people suffering. So if you would, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. I want to start there because it mentions something. This is the scene before the throne of God in heaven. And, it's, and we saw the the four creatures and the 24 elders there before God. And it says in verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, that's the lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Notice what the 24 elders are carrying with them. They hold something that is precious. It's in gold. So that lets you know the value, that it is very valuable. It's the prayers of the saints that they have carried with them. And now as they stand before the throne of God, they have the prayers of the saints with them. It's as if God could put in a bottle all the prayers that have gone up to him and now they come before him. Why now and why in Revelation? Well, let's get the answer to that. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so that question of how long comes up again. It's like the 
family car trip, and the little kids, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> Believers have asked that question themselves. We've asked that question. Is it over yet, Lord? Is it close to being over? How long will we have to suffer through this is what we're asking. Notice the, the, the answer that's given to them. Sit tight just a little bit longer. <laughs> We don't like those kind of answers. Our kids didn't like those answers in the car. We wouldn't tell them, look, it's going to be three and a half hours because they, they, they had no way of, 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 of dealing with that kind of an answer. It would be way too long for them. We just say, hey, work on your tablet. Put your headphones on. Take a nap. Play your usual puzzles. Entertain yourself. Do what you need to do. Rest, he says, a little bit longer. A little bit longer. He doesn't tell us the detail of how long it's going to be, but he says a little bit longer. And then I'm going to take some action. The next passage we see what happens in chapter 8, Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4. Revelation 8, verse 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer, and he was given... He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Notice prayers are, 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 are pictured as this incense. In other words, they are a, a pleasant aroma before God. He's preserved them and he brings them before himself and they are pleasant to him. They, they come before him. It says, verse 5, Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumbling, rumblings, flashing of lightning, and an earthquake. What had happened? God is beginning to act. God is beginning to answer the prayers the historic long prayers, the prayers from all of history of his people. When will you avenge? When will you act on the fact of your people suffering through the wickedness of this world? God takes the prayers and prepares a long-awaited judgment is what we see. In Psalm 94, verse 1, let me just read that one verse. Psalm 94, verse 1, it says this. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. God is going to answer the prayers of his people as to their suffering. And he's going to avenge their suffering. In Romans chapter 12, I'd like you to turn there with me. Verse 19. It's a familiar verse. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It says, don't take your own action, but... Know that God is going to act. Vengeance is his. He didn't say, well, you know, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll forget about it. It's not going to happen. No, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's a promise 
from God. God in his sovereignty uses suffering as a means to accomplish the redemption of his people. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says this. I consider, Paul is writer, saying, I, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He lets us know that there's a future hope. That the sufferings, the things that we endure in this life are very light. In fact, they're not even worth the comparison to what we're going to experience in glory. We need to know that. We need to understand that. We need to be anchored in that so that we can, in fact, persevere through the trouble and the suffering that we go through now. Job is an example of that. You, one of the things that, that happens is when, when a crisis happens in our lives, it really shows what we're made of. <laughs> it reveals what's in our heart. It shows us what we're anchored to. Jesus said it this way. Two men build great houses, one built on a stone and one built on sand. And the storms came. The storms affected both. And we know the storms eroded, eroded the foundation of the house on sand so that it fell. And yet the one that was built on a rock withstood the storm. The storm is a picture of the things of life that come and they impact us. And they will come to both God's people and all people. But those who are built and are fastened to the rock withstand and persevere. And all is not lost. And so we need to know that when our crisis comes, it reveals what's in our heart. If we're riddled with fear, anxiety, distrust, the crisis will reveal that. If we're filled with faith, reliance on God, and trusting in, in His ways, even when we don't fully understand, our crisis will reveal that. Job had a major crisis in his life. He lost nearly everything. He didn't even know what was happening behind the scenes. This crisis tested him as he lost precious things. Most of everything he had in life, he lost. This crisis tested him as he lost precious lives. The lives of his servants the lives of his own children. This crisis tested him through the loss of support. You remember what happened in chapter, chapter 2 of Job as he's going through that second wave of the crisis. His wife said to him, Job, why don't you just give up? The one that would be closest to him that he probably needed for support, he lost even that type of support. 
And lastly, this crisis tested him through the loss of those who would be comforters. We're going through that great section where Job has that intercourse with his friends, his so-called friends, and he, he ends up calling them miserable comforters because they don't know how God works and they don't bring, they can't provide help or comfort to Job for his situation. It's interesting. They state general truths that just aren't applicable in Job's life. So it's not enough to just know general truth. You need to be connected with God and know how that truth applies to his people right now. Job lost the comfort of his friends because of that. And all that, he seemed to be left all alone. And yet, this was a test and it revealed something about Job. It revealed that in, built within him, he was anchored with true faith. If you can remember back to our reading in Job chapter 19, verse 20, excuse me, verse 23. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that an iron pen and lead they with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Job longed for a meeting he could have with God. He needed an arbiter to go between him and God to, 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 to get an understanding of what God was doing. And he says, I know that day will come where I will meet face to face with God. Job did not understand his circumstances, what was going on, but he held on to his faith. We saw earlier, I think it's in chapter 13, which says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. Job is saying, no matter what I go through, no matter how dismayed I become or, 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 or confused about what's going on, I hold to God. Though it seems that he himself is attacking me, I hold on to him. Job's faith was tested and shown to be real. You may be having a crisis in your own life. It reveals your need for God. We like to think that we can handle most anything that comes our way. But the reality is, is that we desperately need God. And when we humble ourselves before God and resolve that matter, God is there to show himself sufficient for every crisis that we face. Is God your comfort? Or do you look to the news and others for a sense of well-being? Are you relying on God? Or will you allow other influences to guide you and shape your decisions? Will you trust God 
rely on him, and continue to serve him. Crisis that you face, we face individually, collectively, is one that reveals what's inside of us and reveals our need for God. And I would beg you to humble yourself, to trust in God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant, Job, who modeled for us but even more importantly, he modeled the redemption that was to come in Jesus. That Jesus felt stricken by you. Isaiah, 5, Isaiah 53, 3 says he was stricken or smitten by God as he took on our sin on the cross. His friends turned away from him. His enemies attacked him. And God, you are the one that sent this upon him as your wrath against sin, but your love for the sinners that you would redeem so that we would have salvation, we would have redemption for our sin. Jesus took on suffering for our redemption. So we thank you for that which you provide through the Lord Jesus Christ. We would pray, Lord, that you would call people to yourself through a crisis like this. Not to just to go to places where they can get food or whether they can get medical attention, but that they would come to you, fall down before you, cry out to you that we need you, yes, for physical healing, but we need you for life-giving, both spiritual and physical, that comes only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that those who hear this message would trust you. Those who have already trusted you would continue trusting in Christ and focus not on their circumstances, but on you, Lord, who give us victory in all of our suffering those who need to come to know Christ that they would right now submit themselves to you and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one the only one who provides a payment for their sin through his blood shed on the cross Lord as we come to the week right before Resurrection Sunday one of the greatest moments that we celebrate each year. May we be true to celebrate that in a great way. May we be free to celebrate that. May we honor you in all that we do. And now we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you who are watching this through our Facebook. We thank you. We also would encourage you to get in touch with us and use Facebook as a means to do that. Let us know that decision that 
you have made to trust in Christ and that you need to be connected to a good and a godly church. We invite you to come and to be a part of Sweet Communion. If you're already a part, we pray that you would just continue to serve God and pray and be faithful. Be faithful in all that you do. Be faithful in your giving. Faithful in your prayer. Be faithful in your ministry and service to God and to his people. And I want to thank you for your faithfulness.